Huxley puts together some stuff. And I mean, the whole point of it is, first, they're always in here so they can watch us worship, so that they can worship with us. And frankly, the worship's a lot better in here than whatever marginal worship we would give them in that room, right? Um, just to be completely frank. But, but it's also good that they see our example of worship, what it is to worship God. And so, um, so that's why they're in here for the first part. And then this part is not just torture for them, hopefully. It's that they, once again, get to see us interact, get to hear us talk about Scripture from an, from an adult perspective. And, and as your kindergarten through fifth graders starting to youth, then we start bringing them in a little bit more, well, a lot more. Uh, and then as they go to college, then we have other things, right? Like it, it, the, the goal is that we are discipling our kids through all these different stages in life. And so we consider it a privilege. So what that means is if they, if they chat a little bit during the sermon, it's fine. I'll roll with it. I've been challenged once or twice, but I'll, I'll make it through. All right. So if you're a guest here, welcome. I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. It's, um, it's a, a great day to be here. Um, I mean, it's always good to go through Scripture. Um, but I feel like this morning's uh, passage as we walk through the Gospel of John is uh, uniquely challenging. It's uniquely powerful. It's uniquely convicting. So I say this in, a, in an effort to preface this. I'm going to ask us to be really honest about ourselves. The good news is, is you guys don't have to say anything, I will say. <laughs> what I believe to be true in my own life, and I believe to be true in all of the life of humanity. But, um, but it's going to be tough, because we don't like seeing certain parts of ourselves. That's just the reality. We like... Um, there's all sorts of colloquial expressions. I won't use all of them, but we like to be presented in an appropriate light. In fact, I was just talking to somebody at the front, at the front door, and I was complimenting them on their kids and how well-behaved they are. And, and I go, look at how, he's like, you should see them at home. I, and, and we agreed. It doesn't matter what they do at home as long as in public they look good, right? <laughs> Not right, but, right? But, but this is the thinking we have. Um, and so this is what we're going to walk through. We're going to go through John chapter 3, verse 16 through 21. The verse will be on the screen. If you need a Bible, they're littered throughout. Um, and uh, we can get that for you, or you can bring it up on your phone or, or whatever. But uh, let me start by praying. Father, we thank you so much for giving us this time. Um, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Not just giving us recommendations for life not just trying to boost us up and make life easier. That's not the point. The point is that you would be worshipped for who you are. That every circumstance in our life, we would turn to you and recognize your faithfulness to us, just like we say. And we pray that for our entire lives. We pray that for this time now. We pray this during our um, family gathering afterwards. We just pray that that you would consume our lives and that we would see them for what you made them to be in your presence and for your glory. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we're going through John. So that means that you probably read a doozy of a passage this last week in your small group or in your own reflection that, that was, had some fairly challenging uh, statements that Jesus made that were kind of enigmatic. There's scholars debate 
how to interpret some of them. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on that, but I'm going to try to wrap us through it. So every time I do this, I'm, I, I kind of back up a little bit so we can kind of get our running start into today's uh, message, okay? So um, what did we, so last week we were here, and what was it, I'll stop asking questions because I don't want you to answer, but um, so, so at, the, at the end of last week, we saw that, that, um, that Jesus declared that he knew what was in a man. He, he knew our hearts, right? Like he had gone through, he had cleansed the temple, and he knew, and he said that nobody needs to come up to Jesus and say, hey, let me tell you about my buddy so-and-so. He's like, I, I, know, I know everybody's hearts. And so that's where he starts. And then what you read this week was he, then John goes, let's, let's show you one of those people. He says, there was a man, and his, that man's name was Nicodemus. And so he rolls into this interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. And so John kind of goes, God, Jesus knows what's in your heart. Let's watch him engage with this individual and see what's in his heart and learn from it. And so he presents Nicodemus to us. And Nicodemus uh, noticed, like, he's seen the signs. He's seen what Jesus has been doing. He was a Pharisee. He was a, which is like super, like, religious scholar, high intellectual leader of the Jewish people. And his conclusion, out of everything that he had seen, was in John chapter 3, verse 2. He says, as soon as I find it, hang on. (laughs) It says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. It's the best he could get. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, and we'll see as we read on, it wasn't a faith statement. It wasn't really that he like believed in Jesus. He just knew that like there was something different about him, right? You came from God. And then Jesus has this interaction with Nicodemus. That's fairly challenging. And basically, the conclusion of this is that Jesus explains to Nicodemus that it's not about just intellectual knowledge. You guys, this is, many of us are tempted into this place, that we go and we go, I want to just know everything I can know. Nicodemus knew everything there was to know in the Old Testament, probably. Like, you, you could probably guess that he had it. He, had the, he, he knew the information, and his deduction was what? You obviously came from God. And Jesus goes, that's great, Nicodemus, but that's not of salvation. That's not going to help you. And maybe you read it, that you, he says, you got to be born of water and spirit, and he, and he starts walking through these different examples, and what he says at the end of this thing is he basically goes, do you understand that wholesale dependency on God is the access to God. It's not knowledge. It's dependency on God. That's what we mean when we say, do you believe in God? We're not saying intellectual knowledge. Or have you, have you come to some deduction? You're like, well, a lot of people seem to believe him. So I guess I'll believe him. Or kids, my parents believe him. So I guess I'll believe in Jesus. That's not what he's saying. And in fact, what he does is he gives this incredible, like kind of one-liner that points back to an incident with the Israelites in the desert 
and as God is walking them through the wilderness. And Jesus points to that, and he goes, do you understand how important dependency on God is? And what he gets to is he goes back to the story in Numbers chapter 21. And I don't know if you spent a lot of time on this. I would highly encourage you to. It's, it's a little weird, actually, frankly. Like you read it, and, it's, and it's, a little, it's a little odd. So Numbers chapter 21, verse 6. So Jesus points to this, and he says, do you remember this? And this is what it says happened. Actually, let me, let me set it up for you now that it's already on the screen. But let me set it up for you. So the Israelites are wandering through the desert. Jesus, or, well, yes, but God brought them out of Egypt, right? They crossed the Red Sea. He provided for them. He led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Do you think there was any doubt of, from the Israelites that God was there? This wasn't an intellectual problem, okay? Like, he... They'd wake up in the morning, they're like, oh. They'd have a bad dream at night, they'd wake up, they're like, oh, pillar of fire. Right? Like, this is, this is legit. Like, this isn't like, I wonder if God is here. God is there. And not only that, but now they're hungry. God provides them with bread every morning that falls from the sky, like dew, right? And they pick this dew up, and it's bread. He provides them with quail, he provides, so he's providing them. And what do they do? What's their response? It actually says that, uh, well, I'll, I'll be careful with the word, but basically they, they insult God and they insult Moses. And they go, why are you bringing us here? Why are you doing this? And they, and they, and they disdained God for this. And so what does God do? It says in verse six, then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. It's kind of a weird story, isn't it? it seems a little idolatrous. It seems a little like very like pagan and weird. And in fact, um, if you go back, if you if you do a little more research on this, um, when Hezekiah takes over as a king many years later, guess what? The Israelites are worshiping this bronze serpent, and he destroys it because it had become an idol. God sent it to them as a gift to save them. Okay, you with me here, right? He sent them this, he told Moses, do this, this will save them. They get bit by a, a snake, go look at it, okay? By the way, fun fact, this is the little medical symbol. Do you guys know this? This is the little snake on the medical symbol. This is where this comes from. Anyway, my daughter told me what it's called. I have no idea what it's called, but that's what it is. And so, so he goes, if you look at this, you'll be saved. And so what is, what is God doing? He's creating this dependency. Could you imagine if you were in the camp and like maybe your kid, right? You get bit by a snake and you're like, I don't want to look at it. Would that happen? No, everybody would be like, your parents would be like, look at this thing, right? Like, I want you to live. 
And we would all be doing it. And so what is God doing? He's creating a dependency. Now, what had to happen in order to create that dependency? Fiery serpents, right? So it's not God's, God's giving them good things and he's providing for them. What does this tell us about our nature? <laughs> it's pretty messed up, right? God's providing us with all these good things. He's like, trust me, I'll provide for you. Depend on me. And we go, no. And he goes, okay, you're gonna die. Okay, well, now I'll depend on you. And so this is what Jesus points to. He says, do you understand that this isn't, Nicodemus, this isn't just about intellectual knowledge. Do you understand that God wants you to trust him? I, I, frankly, I don't like the word believe. I, I, I know it's biblical, but like, I like the word trust better. Because it, it sinks a little bit deeper. It becomes a little more intimate. It's a little more emotional. It's a little bit more substantial. And I think this is what Jesus is pointing to. He's like, no, God wants you to trust him. And in fact, Jesus points to him and he goes, I too am going to be lifted up on a stick, on a cross. And you're going to look to me, not just for life, but for eternal life. I'm not going to go away. I'm not going to become something. This isn't just temporary, right? All these Israelites still died. They just preserved their life a little bit longer, right? But Jesus says, if you look at me, you'll have eternal life. And so this is what launches us into my actual sermon today, <laughs> which, which starts in John chapter 3, verse 16. So this is what he's talking about. And so what does he then say, John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So that's the gift, okay? You understand the connection here that Jesus is making through all of this, right? God, Jesus knows the heart of man. That was the premise. Nicodemus isn't, he, he's deducing who Jesus is, but he's not trusting in God. And he says, no, you need to trust in God. Let me give you an example of what real trust looks like. He goes, okay, now God gave you a gift, his own son. And we've heard this so many times, and it's so easy for us to just to read through this first, right? I didn't even have to read it, right? Like, like we know this. Now, I might swap out one and only son or only begotten son, right? Like, I say only begotten son, actually. That comes off my lips first, even though I've never really studied the King James. But, but the point is that this is valuable. This gift is significant. It's sacrificial. It's a sacrificial gift. Think about this. Like this is Jesus, who we read in Philippians chapter 2, who's in heaven, dwelling with God, in the kingdom of God, peace, everything's amazing, and what does he do? He comes into our filth. And don't think it's nice here. It's not. I mean, even by our measures now, you could go, well, you know, it's relatively, you know, we have internet and cars and things, but he didn't even come into that. He came into our, into our depravity, in our rebellion. You got to imagine that every time Jesus witnessed somebody reject God or rebel against God, that had to see her in a way that we just can't understand. We talked about it last week, right? What does it look like to have those, the same affections and same emotions that, that when somebody insults God, we feel that insult? And this is what Jesus is growing up with and around. So is it sacrificial? Yeah, and I'm not even talking about the cross piece. I've said this before, 
And I am sure that Jesus dying on the cross was extremely painful. There have been people that have endured much worse pain. Frankly, there are plenty of prisoners of war. There are plenty of people who have endured much more significant pain than that. I think the pain, the sacrifice that Jesus made was it coming down into our filth, that enduring our presence, being a part of this. And you can fire back at me, but I, I think I could probably prove that pretty easily. But we always point to that one piece. I mean, that was the effectual time. That's, that's when things happened. So don't get me wrong, it's not significant, the whipping and the scourging and everything that Mel Gibson did and like the, the passion of the Christ, like, like that's legit. But we forget that there's something even more. And that's we are far from the presence of God. And we can't even comprehend that sacrifice. And so this is what God gives us. This is the gift. Not only is it a sacrificial gift, it's a personal gift. Okay, kids? Who in here has made a card for your parents? You guys done this? Okay. Well, adults, who's made a card for your parents? Why don't you just go to the store and get the Hallmark one? They cost like $6 now. <laughs> in our house, we converted to an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, neatly folded. <laughs> I often fold mine the wrong way. <laughs> And then I write on one, one page of it, and then I write the name on the front, right? It's meaningful. It's personal. I want to hear your words. I don't want to, I mean, not, not, I mean I, whatever, you know what I mean? We want to hear each other's words. We want to hear their actual thoughts and feelings. I don't want to hear what Hallmark writer thinks about things, even if it's in the faith section. It's got the little cross on the thing, right? Even if it's in that section, I want, I want to know it's personal. And, and what makes something personal? It's, it's, it comes from you. And so this is the gift. This is what God gives us, this sacrificial and personal gift. Okay, read, read on with me here. Uh, well, before we read on. Um, So, so, so this is the gift God gives us. And then he's going to immediately transition into the second part of this verse, and he's going to talk about our belief. So look at what it says in, in the second part of this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. What's the premise? What, what, what would have happened if Jesus had not Come. There's a so that in here, isn't there? Uh, well, it doesn't say so that, but he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. What does that mean? That means without Jesus, what's our destiny? Perishing. God gave us a gift, he gave us some sweet sneakers, right? He gave us a gift, and he went, you need this, because without this, you will perish. That's the, that's the premise. That's, 
That's what following Christ is about. Christianity isn't about some moral code or hanging out with moral people or trying to be more right. Or It has nothing to do with that stuff. It has to do with understanding our human condition. And this is where it's going to get really real here in a second. Because he goes, do you understand that you would have perished, you would have had no hope if God had not sent his son. So what does he do? He takes us into a courtroom. So what John does in this, and it's really, it's really pretty cool. So he takes this belief and he goes, belief and unbelief. Whoever believes will have eternal life. Whoever doesn't believe will perish, right? He, he, and this is where we all sit. We all hang out and we're like, oh, do you believe in Jesus? I actually uh, had a conversation with somebody the other day and I know this sounds weird, but like, it, I had done a prayer for a thing at, at work, and, and, and the guy said, hey, good prayer. And he's like, I didn't know I, you had that in you. I don't know him very well, right? And, and I, so then we started the conversation. And so then my next question is, and I, and I pause, and I go, how do I ask this? How do I ask, are you a Christian? Because I don't want to say, are you a Christian? Because 99% of the people are going to say yes here in America, do I say, do you believe in Jesus? That just seems a little odd. So I said, are you a follower of Christ? And I'm like, that sounded a little weird too. But, I, but I'm convicted by this, you guys, because that's the right question to ask. And he goes, yeah, I am. And then we ended up talking for like 10 minutes about stuff, right? Important things, like not, not work things, these things, right? God, his kingdom, right? All these amazing things. And I didn't know this about him. We're like, we gotta go get coffee at some point, right? But, so, but that question, are you a follower of Christ? Do you, do you really follow him? Do you really trust in Jesus? And so what he does is he takes this belief and he goes, this isn't just a matter of believing or not believing. It's not a decision you make. I know we always think that. Like, I just chose to like, I thought it was a good belief. So I thought I'd try out Jesus. That's kind of how we culturally think about it. So what he does is he takes us into this courtroom. And he goes, no, no, no. This isn't about just choosing to believe or not. This is a courtroom problem. And look at what he says in verses 17 through 18. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. If you, if you have a pencil out or a pen, underline that word already in your Bible because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So what he says here is like, this is a problem of condemnation. This isn't, a, this isn't just like decision-making 101 and you're just trying to make the best decision for your life. What's the, what's the smoothest path? This is fundamentally a condemnation problem. Like We're in a courtroom and we are all condemned. That's, this is what it's saying. And, and we'll, we'll kind of walk through this here in a second. He says that if you don't believe, you're condemned already. Like It's not that Jesus came in and he was kind of a gift, but kind of a condemning person. Think, go back to that number situation. Was that bronze serpent condemning? No, it was a gift. 
Did that bronze serpent create the problem? No. The problem was there. The bronze serpent was a gift to solve the problem. And what was the problem? Not that they were being bit by snakes. The problem was that they didn't trust in God, right? And so this is what he's pointing to here. He goes, he goes do you understand that, that if you don't believe, you're condemned already. And this is all of us. The day we're born, we are not believers. We are condemned. And this is where he sets up. He goes, this isn't, this isn't a problem statement here of, of like, what, what decision are you going to make? He's like, do you understand where you're at? And in fact, what Jesus is going to, or what, yeah, what Jesus is going to say here is that, that, um, that this whole point was that, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Who's the world? Jesus came to save the world, not to condemn the world. The, the world's already condemned. We're already lost. And he's going to walk through this, and he's going to prove it here in a second. So, so hang with me if you're like, yeah, I don't feel very condemny. <laughs> you are, okay? And he's going to walk through it. And this is where we got to be really honest with ourselves because we don't, we don't like being told we're wrong, right? Uh, me in particular. So, okay. So then he says, Okay, all right, so, so here's this courtroom. He goes, there's a judgment. The judgment's already been levied. Then what is our judgment? Look what he says in verse 19. And this is the judgment. Okay, so think of it from a, from a courtroom perspective, right? Like somebody's being hauled away, and you're like, what happened to him? Oh, uh, he's condemned. Well, what happened? What, what, why, why is he condemned? Let me explain to you what happened. And so this is how John is walking through. It's, it's super cool when you start looking at how he does this. So it says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. All right, we're going to walk through this, okay? So if you have... These verses, these are verses 19 and 20, okay? This is where Jesus goes, do you understand the why? You're not condemned because you, didn't, because you made the wrong decision. This is what the world thinks. Maybe this is what you think if you're not a follower of Christ. Maybe, maybe this is what you know that you used to think at some point. It seems kind of arbitrary that God would just like, do you believe in me? No. Nope. See ya. Doesn't it seem, I mean, I've struggled with this in the past because I, it does, it seems very arbitrary. And this is where Jesus is walking through this going, it's not arbitrary. You see, there's a real fundamental problem here. And this is everyone, okay? This is where we all start, okay? You with me on this? It's not necessarily where we are all at now. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, we'll get to you in verse 21, okay? But this is where we all start this journey, this path, this life of ours. And so what does he say? He starts off and he says, are your works are evil. Yeah, well, not everything I do is bad. Yeah, yeah, actually it is. Here, here's why. And, and, and we don't have time to go through all the scriptures that support this, but if the contrast is between your motivation. What, you can do something that's great, 
But if it's because you want to be glorified, then it's selfish. You with me? This is the difference. This is, and, and we'll see this. We'll loop all the way back around, okay? And I'll, I'll show you that it's true. So when he says your works are evil, even the good things, even the great, nice, amazing people that aren't followers of Christ, if it's not for the glory of God, it's evil. With me on this? There is one God who has created all things. And so if it's not for his glory and acknowledging his presence and his role in humanity and his creation and his sustaining efforts and his love and grace, if it's not for that, it's meaningless. In fact, it, distract, it detracts from that, which makes it evil. Just sit on that for a second because I don't think we fully appreciate this. I think we think, yeah, I mess up some things. But for the most part, I'm pretty good. This is also why we still struggle with this, because we are still here in the flesh. Even those who are of faith, we still will do things for our own glory and not for God's glory, right? We still struggle with this. But by God's grace, we have repentance and forgiveness and and we're free from that, right? And so, so he starts off with, our works are evil. And so what do we do? What do we do with our evil works, with our hidden motives? I don't want you to know them. <laughs> we don't want them exposed. That's what he says, right? He says, they, they, uh, verse 20, lest his works should be exposed. Like, we don't want our motivations, our thoughts, some jacked up things going on up here, right? Right? Our emotions really messed up. Our words, we get better as we get older, but still often pretty messed up. Our motivations for things, we hide them. Who are you transparent with? If we could just be fully transparent, that's, that's it. That's, that's what God wants for us. Okay, now, we're, we're not getting there, but we want to hide our sin, we want to hide our motives. We want to hide all of these things. We want, don't want them to come to light. This is our natural bent. This is our natural tendency. So what do we do? We love the darkness. <laughs> because they won't get exposed. We love hiding them. Right? He's, he's going back and forth between light and darkness here. But, but the idea is that we're not going to let them be exposed. We don't want people to know our deep, dark secrets. We don't want people to know when we messed up. All right, kids, confession time. You guys ever done something and then lied to your parents about it? Not our kids, not, not any of the kids here. Have you heard of any of your friends doing this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Why? Why do we do this? It's innate. Parents, did any of you teach your kids to do that? This is us. This is the human condition. This is why we got to be very reflective of this and go, this is really who I am. And I'm a 42-year-old man, and I still do things like this, right? I, we get a little better at it. We get a little more tactful. We get a little more, we're a little craftier with how we work our way around things. We don't outright lie. We just withhold some information. 
Am I right? We laugh, but this is so sorry and so sad. And this is where he, and so we love the darkness because we're like, hey, here I'm safe. We're safe in the darkness. We're safe when nobody knows. Why? Because nobody knows us. And we can hunker in the corner and we can just hold our stuff. And, and then here's, here's the other part. We love the darkness so much. And notice his words go from belief, right, to love. This is, this, is, this is a love affair. Make no, mean, no, no bones about it. Like, we love the darkness, and so what do we do if we love the darkness? We hate the light. I don't want anything to be exposed unless I've been very calculated about when and where and to whom. Sound familiar? Listen, I'm the one that has to stand up here and say these things. You guys can just, all you have to do is just go, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. So I don't feel like I'm by myself here, Right? This is what we do, we, we, and we're calculated. What, we even have an expression for this, right? That we want to see things in a better light, right? We, we want to be seen in a good light. I'm going to selectively pick the things that you see, and I'm going to withhold the things that you don't see, and then you're going to think I'm a great person. Is that not where we're at? And this is what he's walking through here. He goes, you guys get this, right? He's like, you, you understand, Nicodemus, where you're really at. And so you, you love the darkness, you hate the light. And so then what happens? When the light bursts forth, what did, what did John say at the beginning in John chapter 1, right? The light has come, it's cast out darkness. Light came into the world. And what do we do? We book it for the hills. What did Adam and Eve do? When God came to be in their presence, they went and hid this is our condition. And so this is, the, this is us without shoes. And God goes, I've got some shoes for you. I can solve your problem. Do, do you realize that you don't have any shoes? Do you realize how desperately you need this? You've been missing this your entire life, and I'm, I'm giving you this gift. And here we are in the camp of the Israelites getting bit by snakes, just trying to figure out how to solve our problem on our own. He's like, would you just, would you look? Look at the bronze serpent thing. I solved this problem for you. We go, no, I want to stay in the dark. I don't want to come out there because I don't want anybody to know I've been bit. This is where we're at. So to say that this is just a matter of a decision, to, to, to water this down where you're like, oh, have you, have you chosen to follow Christ? Have you, have you just decided that this was a good path for you to raise your kids in? Do you think that this is just going to make life a little bit easier? Oh, good. Yeah, awesome. Welcome to the club. Jesus doesn't give us this option. Wholesale dependency on God. And when we open our eyes, when God opens our eyes to see our depravity, to see how desperately we need him, I'd love a pair of shoes. I'd love your son. I want to come to the light. I want to be laid bare. I want you to clean me up. I want, I want all of this to be taken away from me. I don't want to hide anything anymore. I don't want there to be dark crevices and, and places and, and corners in my life. I don't want those things. 
I want, you, I want everybody to see them for what they are. And look at what he says in verse 21. And this is so incredibly beautiful. He says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light. Mind you, that, that word, whatever, whoever does what is true is kind of a colloquial expression for those who live faithfully. Okay, So that's, that's generally how people understand that. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. Ready for the reason? So that... God may say, good job, You're, you've cleaned yourself up. God says, man, look at this, look at this person, man. <laughs> they make all the right decisions. No, that's not what it says. So that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. God did this. God cleaned us up. God's more powerful than my sin. You see, the motivation, the difference between those who believe and those who don't believe isn't a decision. We're all in the same. We're condemned already. The judgment's already been levied out. So what's the difference then? The difference is your motivation. The difference is your relationship with the Father. Do you want him to be glorified or do you want you to be glorified? Those are the two options we have in our lives. And that's not a decision we make. That's a relationship that we have. Because only one will get the glory. And so this is what we have to wrap our minds around. Now, let me be very clear, right? As Christians, as followers of Christ, right? As believers in Jesus, right? This doesn't mean our whole life is, is sinless and we're just skipping on our merry way and we don't ever sin anymore. No, what it means is that we recognize this depravity and we go and look at the cross. We look to Jesus and we go, God, I need your help. And what happens? God gets glorified. He gets glorified by our sin. You, you guys, this is the, such a beautiful part about a sovereign God that even when we do bad things, he's able to get glory out of it. He's not encouraging us to do bad things. But even with evil works, he is able to conform those into things that are for our good and his glory. And so this is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, says, but he said to me, this is God speaking to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This is the gift God has given us. This is our need. This is how desperate we are for it. And, and the end result is that God is glorified and we can live transparent lives. We don't need to hide anything. Here's the thing. Let me just be really real here. If you come up to me and you're like, hey, I'm struggling with this, or I did this, I'm going to go, yeah, well, plenty of people have done worse. That's, that's the response. You go, are you repenting? Are you saying, I wished I didn't do it? Well, God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient to forgive you, and that's it. And you're done. Move on. 
That's it. You just get this, right? Like, like this is why we call this the good news of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, okay, well, you need to go do this and this and this, and then I'll forgive you. He's already forgiven us. So when we have this interaction with amongst each other, right, we're going to have a family gathering here, right, and we're going to be chatting and eating and all this stuff, and like, man, if there's an opportunity to be transparent with somebody, take it. Because the more that we can practice boasting in our weakness, like Paul does, the more glory God gets. What if you keep, what if you keep doing it? What if you keep sinning? What if you keep struggling with it? And you're like, I hate it. I, I want to stop. What if it's an addiction? What if you're like, man, I want this to be gone, but I, I can't get rid of it and I don't know? Should you be embarrassed then? Should you hide that? No, not at all. Because God's power is there. God, God's going to wrap you around in a community of believers. They're, he's going to have people praying for you and encouraging you and enduring and having peace and joy in the midst of it. I can't promise you that God's going to take away every pain you've ever had. This does not seem to be the model, despite what health and wellness people preach. This is not what we read in Scripture. Many people died. Many people suffered. Many people died in their sin. But God's grace is sufficient. And so we look to him and we go, I just, I don't like it. I don't, I don't want this part of me. I don't like this part of me. God, would you rescue me from it? And God will be glorified. And if you hide it, you're just trying to present yourself in the right light at the right times to the right people. And all that does is glorify me. And so let's, let's look at this from a perspective that, that Jesus gives us here as he talks to Nicodemus and he goes, don't just say you believe. Don't just say I've come from God and sit on that. Don't just say Jesus must be an important person because I can deduce that. Do you depend on God? Do you want to glorify God in your life? That, that is the difference. Let me pray. God.